wonderful listeners. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Good afternoon, I'm Pastor David Butcher, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. We're broadcasting from the beautiful city of Adelaide and it's the first day of spring. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you today. This week, we're taking as our theme the radical teachings in the parables of Christ. And today we ask the question, can he forgive me? Uh, today, uh, our co-host is Pastor Gary. Gary normally sits in the host position. He's the uh, coordinator of the big Q&A drive time program, and he's also the senior pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church here in Adelaide. Welcome, Gary. Ah, oh, thank you so much, David. It is wonderful uh, to be able to, uh, uh, to, to come and, and join all our listeners once again. Uh, I've got to admit, sitting in the, uh, uh, in the co-pilot seat uh, feels a little bit unnatural. And sitting in the pilot's seat also feels unnatural. So we're sitting on opposite sides we're of the We're trying to develop different skills, different we're, skill sets. We are, we are. Gary, it's looked really good to see you. You look really relaxed. I know our listeners can't see that, but they can tell it by your voice. What's your favourite season, Gary? Uh, look, today is, of course, the first day of, of spring, and I love, you know, here, it depends, I suppose, where I am in Australia. Uh, I, I really love um, um, spring and autumn uh, here in Adelaide. It's fantastic, those two seasons. In winter, it just gets a little colder than I want, and in summer, it gets just a little hotter than I like. Uh, but spring and autumn is absolutely magic. I go driving up into the Adelaide Hills here, and all the blossom is out. It's a, it's a good to be alive. Uh, no, look, it is. I think for me, the only thing I don't like are the magpies that start swooping when I'm out trying to cycle. But uh, it is a beautiful time of year. Today in Adelaide is about 27 degrees at the moment. Tomorrow, 30. And then the next day, about 15 degrees and rain. I know, I know. It, I, it's so good to be in my shirt sleeves once again. I've got to admit, on those uh, magpies, uh, I get a bit silly. Uh, I get a bit, I feel a bit silly about uh, when I'm walking at about six o'clock in the morning because magpie season, I'm forced to put my Kubra on. And to be walking along at 6 a.m. in the morning with my Kubra on, uh, I, I really think, I, I don't know what everybody out there actually thinks, but hey, you know. It's, it's a little bit like seeing a cyclist and other people with cable ties, long cable ties tied to their helmets and uh, sticking up higher. It's, uh, indeed, indeed. But if it works, it works, eh? Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, Gary, um, we've got this segment, World Watch, where we look at world religious trends. And, um, yeah, one of the uh, surveys that has uh, come out most recently from the Barna Institute, which, uh, which is uh, part of the... Um, Arizona Research Center, and it's American Worldview Inventory number 2021, release number six. And uh, it was basically looking at what does it mean when people say they are Christian? Now, this is a very fresh, very current release. In fact, it was released only yesterday, would you believe, Gary? Uh, look, I, I tell you, to me, this is the thing that really blows blows me away. I've sort of, uh, uh, when I first saw this uh, this survey, and the question it's asking to me, Dave, was just so relevant. What does it mean when people say they are a Christian? I don't think anyone's ever surveyed that before. Yeah, you go to a fast food restaurant, a well-known chain, and you ask for something, they know exactly what you're asking for and you know what you're going to get. When you meet someone and you say to them, 
are you a Christian? Or if you tell someone you're a Christian and they say they're a Christian, it can mean something totally different, can't it? And that, I think, is one of the real challenges. And we do have to come to this article, but, you know, that's one of the real challenges, I believe, because, uh, you know, what does it mean when a person says, I am a Christian? Uh, I mean, goodness me, two-thirds of the world's population uh, says, uh, says that. Exactly what does that mean? So over two-thirds of the world's population say that. One-third. Even one-third. Yeah. But then when you look in America, I think there are about 33,000 religious groups. That's huge, isn't it? So, Gary, back to this survey. What does it mean when people say they are Christian? Uh, And this is according to Dr. George Barner from the Cultural Research Center. When someone says they are an American, the meaning of that term is clear. Someone who claims to be a policeman leaves little doubt as to their job. But when people describe themselves as Christian, what does that mean? And that's what we've been saying. Yeah, yeah. The last report from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University shows that the meaning of Christian in America today is far from monolithic, far from just the one single term, in other words, with a number of diverse and often conflicting theological views. Even beliefs that are thoroughly unbiblical and have unbiblical perspectives are among those who embrace the label as Christian. Now, that provides ultimate confusion, doesn't it? Oh, it's got to. I mean, to me, you know, if a person says, I'm a policeman, uh, we've sort of got this picture of what the policeman does, what he's going to stand for, how he's going to act in certain situations. Uh, But, of course, uh, if a person says, I'm a Christian, can we assume make the same assumptions? Clearly we can't. Clearly we can't because this, uh, this survey reveals the following. It says... Um, it says there is a number of diverse and often conflicting theological views by those that call themselves Christian, even beliefs that are thoroughly unbiblical and have unbiblical perspectives. Uh, and these differences in beliefs often lead to widely divergent views of questions on morality and even politics. And we know in America politics and, yeah, and, and religion, religion seem to together. go together. Yeah. For example, a vast majority of American adults, 69%, self-identify as Christian and embrace many basic tenets of the faith. But a closer look shows that at the same time, many in this group, the self-identifiers, hold views clearly in conflict with traditional teachings and only 9% actually possess a biblical worldview. This is according to George Barner. So the first uh, key group, um, the ones that... um, most strongly identify or self-identify as Christians make up 69% Mm. of those that refer to themselves as Christian. And uh, these are the people I assume that would, you know, when there's a census on, who would tick the box of saying, yes, I'm Christian of uh, some particular brand. Without giving it any much real thought. Exactly. They just, they have a label. Yep. So that's 69%. They're the self-identifiers. And um, at the opposite end of the continuum in this survey are those who contend they are Christian by virtue of, of possessing a biblical worldview. And this segment is 6%. Wow. So you've got 69% that uh, just the label Christian, they self-identify as, but there is only 6% that basically hold a biblical worldview. And um, there, are, there are a number of definitions here, but the total headcount ranges from as high as 176 million self-professed Christians 
176 million to as low as 15 million adults or the 6% that hold to a biblical worldview. That's actually a huge difference, isn't it? Now, what causes this, do you think? Oh, David, look, um, the, the reality is I think that uh, from, uh, uh, from through Christian history, uh, many people have been brought up in various Christian faiths. Uh, and, of course, when you're brought up in a, a particular faith, it's the easiest thing in the world to simply adopt uh, that particular faith. So a cultural type There's Christian. actually a cultural connection within uh, many of the Western countries, just as uh, there also is amongst, you know, in Islamic countries towards the Islamic uh, religion. Now, uh, this to me is, is hugely challenging to us because uh, what it actually means is that it's physically possible to claim to be a, a particular believer uh, when, in fact, uh, your the beliefs that you hold are far from the beliefs of Christianity. They can be completely diverse, can't they? Totally diverse. And, um, yeah, this, this group that self-identifies, 69% of Americans, roughly 176 million, there are some things that they hold in common. But these are the things where they diverge from a biblical worldview. 72% of the self-identifiers argue that people are basically good. Now, that's concerning, isn't it? That is. Uh, now, now, David, look, that's, uh, let, can I just comment on this? Because I think it's really important. Firstly, a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview means that uh, I'm actually looking at the world the way the Scriptures would actually look at the world. Now, of course, that particular question is, is really key because um, what, the, what the Scriptures teach is that naturally you and me and you know, the entire population of planet Earth is not actually naturally good but is naturally evil. Yeah, uh, now, wicked. It's actually wicked and they're actually in need of a thing called redemption, they're in need of Jesus Christ. It's only when the Holy Spirit actually impacts a person's mind that a change is able to take place. Um, and yet, when we've got a significant portion of the Christian world saying, uh, no, uh, people are naturally good, then what need is there of Jesus Christ? So if you don't believe the biblical worldview that Christian, that, that all humanity is inherently evil or wicked, uh, rotten to the core, then you don't see a need for a saviour. You, you don't believe or don't really see a need for redemption. Well, you go through life in your own strength because I am nat- if I am naturally good, uh, what need do I have, for example, uh, of prayer, of the daily infilling of the Holy Spirit? Is there any need for that in my life if, in fact, I am naturally good. The scriptures are actually very clear on this, that naturally I am actually not very good. Uh, You know, the the thoughts of humanity, uh, uh, humanity is deceitful above all things. And our thoughts are evil and wicked continually. So this particular group, the self-professed identified Christians that don't hold to a biblical worldview, 72%, as we said, argue that people are basically good. 71% consider feelings, experience, or the input of friends and family as their most trusted sources of moral guidance. Now, that again is absolutely huge, isn't it? Well, there's no biblical worldview, is there? Because 
There's no biblical worldview because what we've actually got here is, uh, you know, if in fact I am naturally sinful and my most trusted uh, source for um, uh, reality... Guidance. Uh, guidance uh, are other people who are also sinful. Hey, I've got a major problem. Within the Word of God... What we've actually got is, you know, it's when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's heart that somehow their mind is able to be transformed. You know, I love what Paul says in the book of Philippians, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. I love, in other words, when the Holy Spirit comes into an individual, their mind is able to be transformed. You know, to me, I think this, David, is really important because it's something that sometimes I hear a great deal about, you know, what we need is more education. No, it's not. Uh, we're actually the best educated uh, nations on the face of the earth. Uh, we actually don't need. What we actually need is a transformation of the mind, but only the Holy Spirit can actually do that. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. 66% of this self-identifying Christians say that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. It goes on. 64% say that all religious faiths are of equal value. Mm. Now, what this ultimately is suggesting then, if there is a need for a saviour, um, then there are more ways of salvation than just one. Uh, that's that's correct. And I'm interested there, David. It's all religious faith. It's not talking about, hey, you know, even, I mean, within Christianity, there are many, uh, many thousands different of thousands groups. of groups within, you know, we're not sort of, uh, talk, we're saying, we're saying here, hey, you know, not just Christians, but as good as the, you know, Christianity is as good as the, the Buddhist or the uh, Islamic faith or Hindus, the Hindus multiple or gods. The multiple gods. Uh, you know, you've got, there is no distinction between the two. And yet, you know, what do we do with the Apostle uh, Peter when he talks in the book of Acts and he says there is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved? You know, a lot of people don't actually realize that the reason the great missionary movements of the Christian church actually started off was because uh, the churches that existed in those days actually firmly believed that it was so important to be able to preach and teach Jesus Christ uh, to the entire world uh, and call people people to conversion because only then um, was salvation actually possible. Absolutely. Gary, we'll move on here, but uh, there's a number of things we can pull out here. But again, in the self-identifying group that self-identifies Christian, 57% believe in karma. Mm. Uh, I mean, this is, this is quite unreal. Uh, 58% believe that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence or purity. So this is divergent from the scriptures, clearly. And, and, and this is where, David, the majority of your Christian world is right now. Because if, in fact, you've only got about a 6% of the world, has act- 6% of, Americans. Uh, of American Christians that are actually have a biblical worldview, then what it means is the vast majority do not. And, uh, you know, this says a great deal to me about where Christianity is actually at. Look, it does. So now we'll go to the most, um, the ones that hold to a biblical worldview. Uh, this is the 6%. And it says here, the most contentious issues in political elections tend to be those categorized as social issues, e.g. abortion, gay rights, gun policy, environmental protection laws, and immigration laws, etc. And it says that this is in America, obviously. Uh, self-identified Christians, this is the, the more liberal, if you like, in their, in their views, 
of Christians were the, the group most likely to claim liberal or progressive positions on social issue, issues, although just one-third of them embraced that ideology, compared to 42% of the same group that identified as conservative. But when we get to this, um, the group with the biblical worldview, the 6%, they're twice as likely as those who self-identify as Christians to, cons- to consider aborting an unborn, an unborn child described as having an abortion because their partner has left and the parent knows they cannot reasonably take care of the child to be morally unacceptable. So the group that holds to this uh, biblical worldview, they are very strong on these social... On, on, what on the, moral issues. On moral issues, yeah. which doesn't surprise us, does it? Um, for instance, having sexual relations with someone that you love and expect to marry in the future was considered morally unacceptable to three times as many of the um, those that hold to a biblical worldview as a self-identified Christians. Now, that doesn't surprise us. No, 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 it certainly doesn't. And in fact, this is why I think, David, I think it's really important, you know, uh, in the in the book of Gospel of Matthew's Gospel, we actually get um, Christ, of course, preaches his, his sermon on the, uh, on the mount. And um, uh, Christ says some things that to me... Um, really challenge us, I think, in the Christian world today. And uh, uh, this is what he actually says. Um, Enter by the narrow gate, and he's just climaxing his Sermon on the Mount here, and this is Matthew chapter 7, verse uh, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. And then he goes on and gives uh, gives this this warning Warning, beware of false prophets. Now, of course, a prophet is a spokesperson for God who uh, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You know, what, Dave, one of the things that I struggle with the most as a pastor is that so many times I've heard people say, you know, look at the way Christians act. And, of course, hey, you, you do get ex- a lot of examples of people who claim to be Christians who are acting in an incredibly... Far uh, from it. Far from it, from an incredibly unchristian manner. Um, you know... This issue of definition of what is a Christian is actually key because I'd suggest to you that many of those who actually claim to be Christians and even attend church regularly are in fact not biblical Christians. Well, in Matthew 7, Jesus says there in verses 21 to 23, he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter it. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Yeah. So simply identifying as Christian, simply wearing a badge or a label as you would on a piece of clothing ultimately means nothing when it comes to the reality of whether we truly are a yeah, follower of yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, Challenging, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I think it certainly is. And I really, I'm glad this survey has actually come out because, you know, this uh, this weekend I'm actually um, commencing, uh, we're having a week of prayer at Brighton in the uh, uh, every night of this coming week. And uh, this Sabbath I'm actually actually preaching at 11 o'clock at Amelia Street Hove, if anyone wants to come and join us uh, here in uh, um, here in Adelaide. And uh, I'm going to be sharing some of uh, some of what's in this particular survey um, with our with our congregation this so weekend. 
It's this Saturday, 6 Amelia Street, Hove, near Brighton. And what time is it, Gary? Uh, that's going to be 11 o'clock this, uh, this Saturday morning. And if you've never seen Gary in the flesh, come and see him Saturday morning. Gary, let's go to some music. This is Michael W. Smith, Ancient Words.
Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor David. Today our co-host is Pastor Gary. Gary is the coordinator of the Big Q&A Drive Time program and he's also the pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Today, listeners, we have an excellent giveaway for you. It is a, a wonderful little book looking at the parables of Jesus. It's called Christ's Object Lessons. Christ Objects Lessons. You will love this book. And so if you want to obtain this free giveaway, all you have to do is text the code word SA14, S for South, A for Australia, SA14 to the number 04888808811. And then the Faith FM bot will reply by asking for your details. So all you need to do is text the word SA14, that's the letters SA as in South Australia, and the number 14 to 04888. 80811 for the book Christ Objects Lesson. Gary, um, today we're looking, um, or this week we're looking at the theme of the radical teachings of Jesus in the parables, and they certainly are, aren't they, Gary? Oh, look, there's nothing more radical. I mean, Christ was a master teacher. He really was. Just the way, you know, every time someone asked him a question, he was able to tell a story with a powerful point that really impacted the heart of the individual. Through stories, which was so good. So today we're looking at Can He Forgive Me? Now, sometimes we sit in various camps on this. I've heard some people say, I will never forgive so-and-so. I can never forgive. It's very common today. And I even had one church member once uh, say to me, there was a bit of an issue between two ladies, godly ladies, of course, and one of these ladies told me, she was the older of the two, she said, oh, you know, I'll never forgive this person. And the younger one had said to her, well, listen, at some point we've got a, we'll be living together in heaven. And the one that said I could never forgive the other one said to me, she said, well, heaven's a big place. Yeah. We'll be able to stay separate. And that just broke my heart. <laughs> so there is the element of I will never forgive. How can I forgive? Yeah. There's the other element to the question, well, I'm so terrible. I can't forgive myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, Gary, you're going to take us into one of these incredible, powerful parables. There's also another fa- aspect there, and it's this aspect of can can Jesus forgive me? You know, I'm I'm really conscious, David. There are some there are so many people out there who you know they have seen their life, and as they moving towards the end of their life, they say, "Hey, I, I really I don't see much good in my life. I don't think I've achieved a great deal. Um, you know, I've done all these these things, all these mistakes." Can he really accept me? Full of pain, full of regret. Indeed. And uh, they see a a life that's presumably wasted. And so that is a really good question. So someone that will never forgive someone else, someone who can't forgive themselves, but then we have this other one, the all-important one, can God forgive me? So, Gary, take us away to Matthew 8. And look, to me, I find this parable is Absolutely. It is mind-blowing by what does actually happen here. Uh, of course, we start in uh, Matthew chapter chapter 18, and uh, uh, Peter, I love the way Peter, don't you love the way Peter always puts his foot in his mouth? He's the union rep, this guy. He is the union rep of foot, of foot in mouth disease. I love the way, you know, some people have actually said to me, hey, look, you know, I mean, I'm always putting my foot in it. I said, hey, you know, you're actually in very, very good company. And and, uh, but Peter on this occasion, Peter came to Christ and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
up to seven times. Now, Peter here, of course, thought he was being exceptionally generous because the Jews in that age actually taught that if uh, if someone sinned against me, uh, then I should forgive them. And if they did it again, again. And if they did it, do it again. But three times was the limit. Uh, Peter, of course. Doubles it plus one. Doubles it plus one. I mean, he's being super generous here. I mean, he's waiting for a pat on the back, no doubt. He's waiting for a pat on the back. Indeed, he is. But I love Jesus' response. This is what he says. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And then he starts to, starts to actually tell, uh, tell a parable. But, you know, David, the thing I'd really want to point out about Peter's question here is this, is that what we've got here, uh, Peter is actually posing an incredibly tough question. In short, what he's actually saying is, what are the limits of forgiveness? Does mm. forgiveness have limits? This is the uh, the heart and the core of this particular question. You know, what if, you know, I can well imagine uh, Peter saying something like this. What happens if the person repeats the same act? Um, what happens... If there's maybe crass stupidity, um, causes huge loss. What if a deliberate crime causes incredible pain? How do you answer those questions? This impacts us all, doesn't it? Every one of us can relate to this parable in one way or another, whether we're the Peter or whether we're the one that inflicts crass pain on others. Indeed, huge loss. indeed. But, you know, David, to me, the thing I love about this is that if Christ is teaching that this is how we ought to forgive, and I think it's really important to pick that up, mm. it actually means that this is something that he would actually function according to the same principles toward us. And to me, when I realized that, I sort of said, hey, this is a God that we can serve. This is a God, he's, there's no ogre in heaven. You know, sometimes I've heard young people talk about the, you know, the God of the Old Testament and they picture him as a, as, as God sitting remotely. With a big stick. With a big stick. Harsh. Harsh. But this picture, is not the picture that we find uh, through, you know, what? Th- this is not the picture that so many people actually imagine. It's actually not the picture of God in the Old Testament either. Absolutely, uh, and, and that's why Jesus came, didn't he? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so this is Jesus showing us what the Father's like. What a beautiful picture Jesus is actually painting here of, uh, of the Father. But look, Jesus then, you know, to respond to uh, to our mate, uh, mate Peter, starts to tell a parable. Now, um, let me just read this to you. Jesus said to him, I do not say uh, to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, the master commanded that he be sold, that his wife and his children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience on me, have patience, and I'll pay you all. Uh, Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. We'll just stop at that particular point at the moment. Do you know, David? To me, this is this is absolutely uh, this is absolutely a remarkable thing that Jesus is is saying here. Uh, just just consider what was actually occurring. Um, firstly, what we've got is a man who is a bankrupt. 
Now, we're familiar with bankruptcy. This is Enron and, and all this, all over, this all of these things. Enron, it's everything. This is, uh, this is the bankrupt in the extreme bankruptcy. Um, this man's in court. Uh, yeah, he's borrowed far beyond his capacity to repay. He's in financial absolute Ruination. You can't get. You know. In fact, you know. I, one time, I actually, um, I actually dug into this. Um, um, you know, I mean, this amount that he did actually own. And my question was, this was how much is a talent? And one book that I actually uh, consulted this uh, actually said, well, actually, um, the, uh, a talent is actually a weight. A talent is not actually a uh, an amount. It's a weight, but it's a weight of about 6,000 denarii. Now, of course, a denarii is the little coin that you would actually get for a day's wages. And now, uh, you know, to me, uh, if you if he's got 6,000 denarii, that's about 6,000 um, days' wages. That's about the wages of about 20 years. The servant owes 10,000 Talents. So 10,000 talents, let's work this through, is 60 million days wages. And Gary, math was not my number one forte, but 60 million days wages is equivalent, wait for it, 164,384 years. What work to get that amount of money? To, to get that amount of money. I mean, th- th- this is a huge sum of money that this guy is actually in debt. And, and the thing I like here, he sort of says, look, give me more time. <laughs> How many? You want one hundred and sixty-four thousand years more time? And and that I think, David, is the is the brutal reality of this. You know, this guy is so far out of his debt. This guy, in his response, is either is either a fool or a liar. Because you know, I mean, how how would you? I mean, we're all we're all David, and we are, or we were, or we uh, can be uh, in debt to the bank for our houses. You know, I mean, uh, I I remember, you know, some of some of my mates, particularly, I feel for them on the east coast, particularly because of the huge level of debt a lot of the guys have to go into to get their houses uh, and get established on on the east coast. It, it's 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 heartbreaking type uh, type stuff, but you know, here. We we borrow, you know, sometimes you know half a million, maybe you know a million up, you know, and pay it off in twenty to thirty years. And pay it off over twenty. It's actually doable, but this man, he is so far out of his debt. He it is impossible to pay it back. One hundred sixty four thousand three hundred eighty four years. That is a lifetime, is it not? You know, David, this is absolutely huge to me uh, because uh, to me, um, I that that debtor's reaction and then the king's reaction is so powerful. The king forgave him the whole amount. Now, you know how big is this? Uh, is this debt? Uh, you know, Christ is saying, no matter how big the debt. I want you to forgive it. We can't even imagine that amount of debt. And and so Christ is saying it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how terrible you've been. I'll wipe it. In fact, the text says there that the king had compassion, was moved with compassion for this man. I I think David actually points out something else as well, and that is that it actually really illustrates the depth of the sinner's sin 
problem. Do you know, sometimes people people say, "Hey, look, you know, maybe if I if I work hard enough, if I I can become a better person." No, you can't. Sorry. Yeah, it shows the magnitude of our of our wickedness, our sinfulness. We cannot save ourselves, and, and that's why Paul, you know, in Ephesians says, "For by grace are you saved." Through faith, that not of yourself, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Why is it the gift of God? Because physically you are not capable of being able to repay the debt. You know, to me, this is an incredibly beautiful story. It is, but we're blind as human beings, aren't we? Just have patience with me and give me more time and I'll work my way to heaven. I'll get better. And that's exactly what he says, isn't it? Yeah. That's what he says. You know, as I look at this, I just sort of turn around and say, hey, you know, the parable is speaking about a king and his capacity to forgive. Now, you know, I'm so conscious that there are, you know, um, there are people, many people that I've spoken to in my ministry who have have really struggled you know in their younger days they've um even yesterday or today you know it doesn't it doesn't matter you know no they haven't gone and robbed a bank but they're so conscious that they're you know the morality that they've actually been uh, portraying to their family they're conscious of the the poor uh, examples they've set for their children I, i'm conscious of um parent after parent who when they get to their older years have regrets about the way they actually brought up their children and so they're living with this burden of guilt. They right. can't forgive themselves and they don't see a way out. And they don't see a way out. And yet, to me, what that's doing is actually misunderstanding the character of God. Absolutely. And this is this is why this parable is so beautiful, Gary. Gary, we're going to go to a break now and then you're going to switch this up a bit with the last part of the parable which is so exciting. But uh, we're just now going to have a break. Randy Travis, above all. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nations and all created things. Nations 
and all created things Love always done and all the ways of man You were here before the world began Above all kingdoms, above all thrones Above all wonders this world has ever known Above all wealth and treasures of the earth There's no way to measure what you're worth Crucified, laid behind the stone beautiful song that was by Randy Travis. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor David. Today our co-host, which is unusually Pastor Gary, he's normally sitting in the host chair. He is the coordinator of the Big Q&A Drive Time program and pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in Adelaide. Um, We have a special giveaway, Gary. The book is called Christ Object Lessons. It's a powerful book, isn't it? Oh, look, I love this, uh, I love this particular book. You know, there's a, there's a number of, number in this particular series, but I love this one. Uh, this is the sort of book that I find, um, that I love to read in my devotional time. And, and look, David, can I just encourage our, our listeners, if they don't have a devotional time, it's really worth developing a devotional habit, uh, day by day. Well, if you're a morning person like me, hey, do it first thing in the morning. If you're a night person and you go far into the night, do it at night. Um, Uh, But to be able to spend some time with God, it actually resets your mind. You know, I'm conscious, Dave, there's so much, and I'm digressing here, uh, but this is passion. I'm passionate about this. Uh, This is something that really impacts my thinking and my actions through the entire day. And in our World Watch segment, we looked at what does it mean to be a Christian, the label. And essentially, I believe, Gary... Being a Christian is someone that is in a relationship with Jesus Christ, a friendship. And so to do that, we need to spend time with him to get to know him. So our free offer today is Christ's Object Lessons. And if you would like this free offer, all you need to do is text the code word SA14 to 04888 
808 And then the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply by asking for your details. So text the code word SA14. That's the letters SA for South Australia and the number 14. SA14, text to 04888. 80811. So Gary, this week we're looking at the radical teachings and the parables of Jesus. Today we're looking at a parable from Matthew 18, Can He Forgive Me? We've looked at the first part of this debtor that owes an, an incredible amount of uh, wages back to his king. That's been wiped and forgiven by a compassionate king which represents the father What's the next part of this parable? Take yeah, us there. David, before we even move on from there, you know, that, that theme is something that is repetitious throughout the entire Bible. You know, so many times I'm so conscious that even individuals talk to me about the, you know, people have spoken to me about the horrible God of the Old Testament. It's not true. Uh, if you actually go and study and read and, and look at the Old Testament, you find a, a picture of God that is exactly the same as Jesus Christ in, in the New Testament. You know, I, I love, you know, Psalmer, 103.12 and I just imagine King David sitting under the uh, under a tree when he's reading this and uh, he, he writes this as far as he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west uh, you know uh, to me this is a beautiful picture God the father David says has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west you know David I'm so pleased that he didn't say as far as the north is from the south I'm so pleased about that because of course if I go far enough north I finally go over the pole and which way am I going south I'm going south and you know but if I'm as far as the east is from the west you know how far is that when does east stop being east it never does does it so yeah. he's he removes its they never never meet again. They never meet again. <laughs> to me, this is a really, you know, and then, you know, if you go to Micah, and this is the picture of the Old Testament God. Uh, in uh, Micah seven nineteen. he casts our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, David, how deep is the Mariana Trench? Is it uh, seven kilometres or 11 kilometres? It's, oh, it's, it's huge. It's incredibly deep. We, we, we've got nothing that can even get down to the bottom there. And Christ says, hey, what I've done with your sins is I've taken them, packaged them up uh, and sent them uh, to the bottom of the Maria. You can't get them back. Can't get a more compassionate God. They're not published across the evening news. Yeah, he buries yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, and then you've, you've sort of got you know Christ on the cross. You know, what does he pray? I mean, Christ's example on the cross is so powerful. He's on the cross, and this is a torture implement, and what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, You know, the capacity, the depth of this forgiveness is so amazing uh, that to me, this parable really says something to me, and it's actually saying something, I believe, to each of us, because it says something about our own sin when we come to uh, to Jesus Christ. Um, But uh, the the thing that really, um, the parable keeps on going, though, it does challenge me, uh, because uh, uh, this is uh, uh, this is what twenty eight verse twenty eight says. But the servant went out. And found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a hundred days' wages, not very much at all. Three and a half months. Three and a half months. He laid his hands on him. He took him by the throat and said, Pay me all that you owe. And so the fellow servant fell down at his feet and, and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he threw him, uh, but he would not. And he went and threw him in prison until he could pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they went and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Uh, Should you not also have shown compassion on your fellow servant uh, just as I had pity on you? Now, David, to me, this, uh, this is troubling. Very troubling. Here is someone that has had 164,000 years of debt wiped. And a man, he comes out and someone owes him only three and a half months debt. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. No compassion. There's no compassion. No sense of the depth of his own forgiveness that he was experiencing. The expectation here is that um, Christ expects those who have been forgiven to also forgive. Now, that... I, I, I can't put it any more bluntly than that because, but that is the scriptural expectation. If you've been forgiven, you are expected to forgive. Now, David, why Full is this stop? A, full stop. Why is this actually so important? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard of so many family gatherings that at Christmas time, uh, at the family barbecue, uh, you know, there are, um, uh, there are issues. From many years back. Sometimes generations. Generations, often. And the people have never chosen to forgive the other one. They always uh, must be the one to have the, the last say. And, you know, to me what Christ is actually saying here is irrespective of what the other person has said or done, your job is actually to forgive. Which is essentially handing it back over to God, isn't it? It's handing it back over to God. And, and, you know, to me, David, this is hugely challenging for the world in which we live because everywhere I go there are actually calls for justice. Movie after movie uh, has got calls for justice. You know, I want justice. And yet here we've got a God who is prepared to forgive us uh, without us getting our just desserts and then says, hey, I want you to do the same thing. Go and do likewise. David, look, can I just tell you just, just one story that I think is, really does illustrate this. A, a number of years ago, I had the privilege, long before COVID, to actually go over to, to America and holiday over there with my, uh, with my wife. And, uh, we both chose various places that we, uh, uh, we wanted to view. Uh, one of the places I wanted to view was, uh, um, in Lancaster County in Pennsylvania. And this was, uh, the Amish people. Now, of course, the Amish people have got a, a very conservative form of, uh, uh, of religion. Uh, they've, uh, uh, they work in the fields. They don't have phones in their home. Uh, they are an incredibly spiritual people. Um, but you know, I, I, just before we got there, an incident happened that really, really jumped out at me. Um, it was, uh, October 3, 2006, and it happened at the little school of a nickel mines. What occurred was a, a gunman came into the school. He took the one, uh, sc- the classroom school all captive. For some reason, he let the boys go, but he kept the teacher, the female teacher, and all the girls captive. And then he chose to systematically shoot Every single one of those girls, as well as the uh, as well as the teacher, right. there were about fifteen people. After that, he committed suicide. Now, the, of course, the the press descended on that uh, on that particular uh, place, and it was uh, certainly the story of the time. Just another uh, mass shooting, and what they expected to find were people demanding recriminations. 
I've got a book at home that was written from this whole thing because the story quickly became something totally different. The book that I've got at home is called Amish Grace. It's an amazing book if anybody ever wants to wants to pick it up. Uh, but in that particular book, the uh, the point that comes out is that these Amish people they took a conscious decision that we are going to forgive. This is what they naturally had trained themselves to do. And uh, in there, the reporters are asking them, how can you forgive them? And their response, it's not easy. It's, we haven't worked it through in our emotions yet. But in my mind, I know that I have to forgive. You know, that's powerful, isn't it? Oh, look, experiencing I mean, so much pain and yet still having that heart and headset. Uh, th- to have this headset, this mind that just simply says that, hey, I want to be able to forgive. I mean, hey, we find it hard to be able to forgive the driver that cuts us off on the road when T- we're going tell home. Tell me about it. I mean, you know, he is always the one at fault and, you know, road rage. I mean, isn't it? A, a, it's a, it's, it's huge in our society at this particular point in time. And yet, when someone cuts us off, we think they owe us. They, they've wronged us such a, a terrible amount. And yet, in this parable, for me, God is saying, David, I've forgiven you one hundred and sixty-four thousand three hundred eighty-four years worth of debt. Yeah. This person's only wronged you three and a half months, a hundred denarii. Yeah. I've forgiven you in such an incredible way, yeah. you need to demonstrate likewise. Yeah. And, and you know, David, the thing that I'm so conscious of is that, you know, I, I've shared on this subject a number of times. I haven't been able to share all that I, I normally do share. But you know, I am just so conscious, and this is, this is what I would say every time that I share on this particular subject, the Holy Spirit actually convicts somebody that, hey, what you've been doing is not right. And you know, I'll be very surprised if there isn't somebody in our, uh, in a, in Radio Land uh, right now that isn't being convicted by the Holy Spirit because this issue is dividing families. This issue uh, is dividing friendships, and that's what Satan wants to happen. And that's exactly what he wants to happen. And you know, as I look at this, I just turn around and say, "Hey, uh, look, uh, there are some things we have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide on." Um, David So Gary this is really telling me When I really appreciate What God has done for me And the forgiveness he's given me He's asking me through his power To go and model the same thing to someone else And I can't do anything else Praise the Lord hey Mm. Amazing Gary uh, let's pray shall we Sure Father in heaven we just want to thank you That you're a, a, a God that forgives Unlimitedly Limitlessly You're a God who will forgive us anything as we confess. You're a God that buries our sins in the deepest seas and as far as the east is from the west, and yet you tell us that hold grudges that eat away at us and destroy us to give them over to you by this act called forgiveness. Help us to forgive. And the Bible tells us we are forgiven as we forgive. That's in the Lord's Prayer. Mm. So we pray for our listeners, Lord, that might be struggling to, to wrestle this out with you. Lord, help me to surrender this hurt, this pain to you. Enable me to forgive. Help me to give it over to you. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Gary, it looks like our time is up for today. 
Thank you, listeners, for joining Pastor David and Pastor Gary on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Helen spend the entire program discussing, is it worth making the effort? Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Is it worth making the effort? And they'll be taking us through Matthew chapter 11. We really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May God richly bless you.